Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us and, and online folks as well. Thank you for joining us there. I just want to thank Ben and the worship team. They, they do a wonderful job and we're blessed to have them at our church. We had some friends in the first service and the, and the first comment was the worship and, and the worship leader are really great. And we have some talented musicians that lead us in worship. So I'm thankful for them and what they do. So I feel like I need to introduce myself. I'm, I'm not the real pastor. So if you're new or this is your first day or if you're online, tune in next week, come back. Uh, but, but my name is Aaron Cummings and my family's over here. My wife, Katie of 18 years and, and Neil who's 16 and Caleb is 14 and Austin is 11. Uh, we've been at this church for probably just over 13 years. Uh, we live in Pearland, uh, but I want to say this church has been a blessing to us for a long time. All of my sons, all three of them, either directly or indirectly have been saved through the ministry of this church. So we're thankful for that. And I want to thank Pastor Lorenz and the staff for trusting me with this honor today. It's a little bit of short notice. I had, he would tell you three days, I would call it two and a half uh, days of notice. The last couple of times I preached, I had more, uh, but I'm grateful to be up here and it's a high honor and I, and I take this very, very seriously and, I, and I'm blessed to have this opportunity. So for those of you who hadn't been around in a while, I, I did, I have preached three times in the church. It's been six or seven years. A lot has changed in those six or seven years. Uh, COVID, I don't think anybody saw 2020 coming, right? We could not have forecast that in 2013 or 14 or whenever I was last on this stage. I'm here because of COVID. Uh, I'm the emergency backup. I'm like the fifth string quarterback, I think. That's probably being generous. Uh, but Matt Parker, as we, we publicly announced, has tested positive. Sounds like he's doing good. So pray for Matt and Shannon and their family and pray for uh, some of our other staff members who are quarantining and, and making sure that they're okay. So we pray for them and that. Some other things that have changed, there's been a lot going on with my eyes, right? If you know, as you get older, th this pair of glasses in 2020 is my first pair of bifocals. Uh, thankfully, I praise God, they don't have the line yet. I don't know why we don't have the line yet, but, but evidently that's coming too. So you can't really tell they're bifocals. My print is a lot larger than it was last time I had notes up here. You'll notice me pull my Bible in closer. I asked this year, I tried contacts. That was a miserable failure. My eyes are sensitive. I asked the doctor about LASIK, uh, and that, that was a very short discussion. But the lady said, mm, you're just too old for that. Uh, so no LASIK for me. I'm getting tired of glasses, but I guess I am stuck with them for now. My hair, I'm certain, I don't know when it started, but I know six or seven years ago, I didn't have a single gray head on my hair, or gray hair on my head. If, you, if I were to sit down and you look, I've got a lot. My sons like to remind me if they walk by and sit, and it's, it's getting worse every day, right? Uh, but I'm glad to have it. Uh, I'll take it, uh, bring the grays on, they blend in with the blonde. My height, this is something great amusement of my sons. I'm, you may not know because I'm a little more this way than the pastor, but he's really not that much taller than me. Uh, I've always measured 6'5 and 3 quarters, so I round up. I like to say I'm 6'6. Six, six. But my sons were very amused, and, and I think they were glad when I measured during the lockdown and I was 6'5 and a half. So, so the shrinking has begun, right, that, that you hear about. And so they all want to be taller than me. They may not say that, but, but we know they do. And so they want me to come to them, right? Makes it easier for them. And, and, and that has started. My sons are all at least a foot taller uh, than they were six or seven years ago. Neil's 6'1". He's grown six or seven inches in the last year. Um, at that time, I would have told you they were all smarter than me. Now they would tell you that themselves. 
And on cue, in between services, Neil said, Dad, what are you preaching about? So you can imagine with four guys full of testosterone in our house, there's a little bit of smart Alex sometimes. And I said, Jesus. And he said, I know that. What are you preaching on? And I said, well, the wise men. And Caleb said, of which you are not, right? (laughs) So they are smarter than me. But I am glad and grateful that I finally don't weigh more than all three of them combined. That, That took a lot longer than I would have liked. Uh, but that is true today. I think maybe we need to reweigh. But I could go on forever. But you all know every year, every season of life, every decade brings changes. It's the nature of life. It's what happens in life. And so, but, but there are things that make no mistake, they haven't changed. I would be remiss not to start with my wife, Katie. She's still perfect after 18 years of marriage. Pastor David mentioned on the video, if you saw that, that he baptized me. He also married Katie and I, and, and he's, a, he's been a big part of our life. He was our singles minister in Austin. And so I'm thankful for his leadership and guidance in our life. One thing that hasn't changed and will never change is the greatness of our God. One, one thing in 2020 has really impressed upon me is how great God is, right? This is not his first pandemic. It's most of ours, or at least feeling it. This is not his first war. It's not his first calamity. It's not his first bout with with chaos in some ways, but he is great. For me, it really came to a realization that this 2020 may not be the year that we thought it would be, probably around March 14th, 13th or 14th. But I promise you this, God was as great on the 12th as he was on the 13th as he is today as he will be when all this is passed. So, so I have always in my life, and I share this in Sunday school quite a bit, I try to follow the Acts model of prayer. And I encourage you, if you're not doing that, to do that. That's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We're all pretty good about skipping to the end and asking God for what we want or we need. But I believe if you start that with the adoration, with reverence, with an understanding of who God is, it will transform your prayer life. Mine's not good enough indeed. But when I do pray, that's been a big impact on my life when I started following that model. And it's not about the model, it's about the truth, right? is we adore God, we revere God, and he is a great and mighty God. What else hasn't changed in the six or seven years since I was on this stage um, is the promise of Christmas, as we'll see today through the story of the wise men in chapter two. What hasn't changed is the hope through the birth of that baby boy that was born 2,000 years ago. As believers and as those who don't know the Lord, if there's anybody in the online or anybody in this place, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would know the hope that this birth brought to all of us. So if you would turn to your your Bibles, and you don't have to, I think they're going to throw it up on the screen, but let me read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6. This is the scripture for today. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler... 
And so as we look at this scripture and we look at this account, it's clear that, Matt, that the biblical account of these wise men gives Matthew further evidence of the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. He lays it out in my estimation. I love how some, some of the biblical authors lay it out. To me, Matthew's laying it out like a, like a masterful lawyer that's presenting this overwhelming evidence before the court, right? And I love a good court show or a good court drama. And one of my favorite new ones is called Bull, if you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a pretty good show. But in Bull, it's called, they're called trial scientists. I didn't know they existed, and I still don't know if they actually exist or if it's made up for TV. But they try to find the right jury. They try to find all the perfect evidence. They, they're, they're building their case, and people are, they're not even lawyers. They have lawyers on staff, but they're not the lawyers. But they have evidence, and people will object but they're brilliant in the way they go about winning their case. And, and by the way, I say that because it's TV, right? I think they win every case. They never lose. But Matthew doesn't need trial science, right? They're going to be people that object to what he says. They're going to be people that don't agree with everything he says. But make no mistake, the fulfilled prophecy in Matthew is true. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence is amazing. And we serve a great and mighty God. And Matthew's seeking to, to prove that through this fulfilled prophecy. He's building his case throughout the entire book that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And these great men from the East are gonna help him make that case. But I wanna take it a little further and look into the prophecies of Matthew. And we're not gonna read the passages, but I just wanna mention all the prophecies from the Old Testament. Everything that Matthew's talking about that's fulfilled in Matthew. And I hope it inspires you as it inspired me. In today's passage that we just read, as the Magi arrive, as written in verses 1 and 2, perhaps it's Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 that says, a star shall rise out of Jacob that's driving them there. In Micah, as we read later, it says in Scripture, he will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah says he was born of a virgin. We know Pastor David, if you were here or online last week, preached on that last week. And Joseph and everything that he went through and Mary and the birth of Jesus in that powerful, wonderful name, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah prophesied that many, many years before Jesus was born. Isaiah also announced that he would, he would come by a forerunner. Malachi mentioned that as well. Isaiah said he would minister in Galilee, that he would bring healing, that he would bring hope to the Gentiles. Pastor David mentioned that last week as well. He said, most of us in here are Gentiles. I know I am. And the hope that he has brought me is the greatest hope that we will ever have, right? So I pray that you understand the hope that Jesus has brought as prophesied through Isaiah, through Jesus to the Gentiles. Isaiah also said many would not understand his teaching, that they would be a, he would be opposed by hypocrites. Hosea says he would come out of Egypt, which if you read the rest of the story, and many of you know the story, is, is later on in chapter two. We won't get there today. Also, later in chapter 2, Jeremiah says his birth would cause grief and the death of children. Psalm says he would speak in parables. He would be rejected by some of their own undoing. The Psalms also said he was recognized by David as Lord, and lots would be cast to divide his clothes. Zechariah says he would arrive riding on a donkey, and his followers would scatter at his death, and he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Folks, these aren't coincidences. These are all fulfilled prophecies of the promised Messiah. And they are compelling, powerful evidence as Matthew builds his case that he is indeed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
So only Jesus perfectly fulfills these prophecies of the Old Testament. Other people can try and other people can make claims, but Jesus is the one and only Messiah. So these 66 books, 40 authors, I mean, think about that, written over 1,500 years, they're all in perfect harmony, right? Anybody ever tells you there's contradictions or anything? They don't know scripture. They don't know context. And this thing is perfectly written and it's perfectly woven. And it's about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as, as we look into the, to the scripture, one important figure that's often left out is King Herod. We don't think about King Herod all the time, right? He's in there. He's, he's a big part of the rest of the story. But with the wise men, he's left out a bit. Look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, so in the days of Herod the king, he ruled from 37 to 4 BC, so 30 to 33 years, which means Jesus was probably born sometime before 1 AD, maybe as early as 6 BC. We'll see in 19 and 20 of chapter 2 that Joseph learned in a dream that Herod is dead uh, while they were in Egypt. Herod was not even the rightful king from the line of David. In fact, he wasn't even a descendant of David or of Jacob, but was descended from Esau, and thus he was an Edomite. During this time, Herod was given the title. He was given it. He didn't earn it. He didn't have it. He was given it by the Roman Senate because of one man, Mark Anthony's influence. And this in Spart explains his fear and his aggressive murderous actions when he heard from the Magi that another king of the Jews had been born. Herod was cruel. He was ruthless. I mean, he killed family members. One of his wives, because he had nine, I believe. Uh, he killed one of his wives. He killed other members of his family because they got in his way. So how would Jesus, in his mind, be any different? So if there was a true king from the line of David, Herod was out. He was done. He had reason to be feared, fearful. He had reason to, to, to worry, who is this King Jesus? And indeed he did. But an important question is posed in verse two when it says, where is he who, is born king to the Jew, who has been born king to the Jews? It's a question that everyone needs to ask. More importantly, you and I need an answer to that question. For Herod, the answer was easy to find. Micah the prophet foretold the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem of Judea. The important point here is that God brought the birth of the king to the attention of these Gentiles who probably journeyed, think about this, many months, maybe a year or two to get there from Mesopotamia to Jerusalem. Matthew included this information to alert his readers of several realities. This event had worldwide impact, right? This was not a regional, this was not just for the Jews. This had an impact across the world. The Messiah was coming through Israel as a gift from God to all the nation of the world, not just the Jews. We can all at times be inward thinking, selfish in other ways. And the Jews oftentimes thought everything was resolving, revolving around them. But Matthew said, make no mistake, this is the king of all. This is the Messiah for everybody, the whole world. So in contrast to the indifference of these Jewish priests and these scribes who should have anticipated the king's birth, these Gentiles were overwhelmed with joy. Look back at the passage in verse two. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. And they were glad to be there. They were looking for this promised king. And they were Gentiles. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. 
So even Herod, if he were true to his belief, he should have been overjoyed. All the chief priests, all the scribes should have been happy. This was a good thing. But unfortunately, he was more concerned with protecting his own interest and his own position. I mean, it was right there in front of them. This is what I think about all the time. It is right. Everything they were looking for was in front of them. And they just missed it as if it was never there. I love what Warren Wiersbe, the commentator and pastor, says. He said, the Magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. And the Jewish priests were ignoring the king. These priests knew the scripture and they pointed to the Savior, but they would not go worship them themselves. They quoted Micah 5 2, but they did not obey it. They were five miles from the very Son of God, and yet they did not see him. I mean, think about this if you're a Jew or you're a priest or a scribe, and you have the Old Testament and you have everything, and you know the prophecies and you know the scripture, and the very Jesus, the very Messiah they prophesied is within five miles. And you're so blind, you can't even see it. And so it was right there in front of them. And so, so what, what, what I want you to say is don't miss this Jesus, right? Don't miss the joy of his presence and the truth of his salvation. I'm going to read Micah in what, uh, what uh, Matthew quotes in Micah 5, 2 through 5, where he says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and he will shepherd his flock. And in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. I was talking to Dylan Stouffer between services and he said he's just so amazed by this type of things that were written hundreds of years before Jesus. They weren't just in the ballpark. They weren't just, they were prophesying the exact things that would happen and proving that he was indeed the Messiah. And, and I'm often in awe of that in scripture. I mean, again, like I said, this whole book is pointing to Jesus and it's perfect in its harmony. But Jesus is the Christ child. He's the promised Messiah. And everyone in this account recognized that that prophecy is coming true. But it's important to understand that for Herod and these religious leaders, ignorance was not their issue. They had no doubts from where the Messiah would come. They just didn't believe it was Jesus. I mean, that was the problem. Again, he was five miles in front of them and they didn't believe it was him. But the same is true of many today. Ignorance is not the issue unbelief a hardened heart is. It's the evidence that's been presented that's standing before you, the irrefutable, overwhelming evidence that's right before you, and they refuse to see it or believe it. But Matthew also makes a key addition to Micah's wording by inserting the word translated by no means to show that the fulfillment of this prophecy has transformed Bethlehem from a fairly insignificant town into a great city of honor. The scripture says, if you look back at 2.6, it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah. Bethlehem, this place where Jesus was born, may have been small, may have seemed insignificant, but God takes what the world sees as unimportant and unworthy, and he makes it mighty in his name. The people of Bethlehem are honored above all the Israelites. The Messiah would come from them, the king of Jews would be born in their community. 
But the scripture also says at the end, as he's quoting Micah, that he says, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This Jesus is not only a king, but he's a shepherd. He will not only rule, but also shepherd the people of Israel. And as a shepherd, it's an image of a ruler of God's people appeared commonly in the Old Testament. Places like Ezekiel 34, we're all familiar with Jesus as the good shepherd. It implies guidance, it implies pastoral care. It implies a a sense of compassion as Mark lists in his gospel in chapter six. Jesus is undoubtedly the good shepherd for all people. Wise men from the East embraced this truth before anyone else. They saw what was coming and they were Gentiles and they probably didn't know the scripture and the prophecies like the chief priests and the scribes and even Herod, but they, they embraced this truth before anyone else. And he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is the one who gives uh, life to save his flock. That is the promise of Christmas. But what's important to me, and we've begun doing a few weeks in Sunday school, we started, uh, we went through probably a few months ago, kind of walking through some scripture about sharing the gospel. Because I know this, there's, I need to do it more and I need to be more effective at it, right? But we as the church, fulfilling the great commission of, of spreading the name of Jesus, we need to know that this, we need people to know that don't trust him, that haven't trusted him as Lord and Savior, that this baby boy we talk about in chapter two is the Savior of the world. He's the one who died on the cross for us. He's the one who's a risen Lord that we worship. And so if you look at the gospel, I, I just want to share some scripture with you. Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that, that, that's a humbling thing because sometimes as believers or unbelievers look at us and they may think we're trying to, to look perfect. We're trying to look as if we're without error, but make no mistake, there's nobody in this room that is not gripped by sin. There's nobody in this room that doesn't need a savior. We're separated from God because of that sin. But, but let me also remind you of this. If, if you're in this room and you think you're too bad or if you're online or if you have a family member, you're not too bad. There's nobody past saving from God's grace. And so all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 furthers the bad news for the wages of sin is death. Just like sin, none of us can escape death until the Lord returns. But the wages of sin is death. That's the price that we pay for our sin. But there's good news. That's the gospel, right? As Romans 5.8 says, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that's a God that's an amazing God. This, this baby boy who was born, who could have done it any other way, he knew that was the right and perfect plan. He knew that we had a sin problem. He knew that from the, from the beginning of time that, that he was gonna send his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. This baby that was from the, from the time he was born until the time he was on that cross was fully man and fully God. He felt emotional, physical, spiritual pain on that cross. No less physical pain than we would feel ourselves because he was, he was God in flesh, but he was the sinless and perfect God. And he died to take away our sins. And as Ben said, he died to take away our sins and our fear that we could love him. And he loved us in a way we can't imagine. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of works, lest any man boast. So that's the, the next part of the gospel is that, that this unmerited favor that God shines upon us. We, we don't deserve it. But if we got what we deserve, none of us would have Jesus, right? W- what an amazing God that no matter where you're at today, I love the, the old, I haven't heard it in years, 
and forgive me, Ben, I don't, I'm not a music guy. I believe that the old, there's an old hymn that says, just as I am, right? There, there's no preparation. There's no, there's no class. There's here the truth. Here the evidence that Matthew and others in scripture present. Hear what is before you and trust him. So if you're online or if you're in here today and you haven't trusted Christ, I pray that whether today is just the first seed planted or if it's been, if it's been percolating in your mind, that you would look at Jesus, that you would trust him for salvation, that you would recognize you are a sinner in need of a savior and you would look to him and you would trust him for eternal life. If nothing else comes to that, I pray that, that today. But, but as we look back at this passage, what, what a great story of these wise men coming. They came to worship the king. They came to worship King Jesus. Let me pray for us.